Well, good morning, those who are here and those who are at home. Uh, we are here together today to celebrate something that happened a couple thousand years ago, and we're still celebrating. We will celebrate for eternity, right? The message this morning I entitled, uh, Same Jesus, but Very Different Responses. And we're going to look at that this morning together. Let's begin with uh, the passage in Matthew 21, which is the Palm Sunday passage. We have a crowd there that's responding to Jesus in, in an amazing way, in, the, in this full, passionate, exciting way. So much so that, that the Pharisees, who didn't like Jesus too much, actually spoke against them and said, you know, make them quiet down. Make those kids stop running around and shouting Hosanna. This is the first time, actually, that Jesus allowed for a public declaration of himself as Messiah. As we read through the Gospels, many times when people realize that, he says, shh, don't tell anybody. Go, go, go on your way. Be at peace. Don't, don't tell anyone. But here, Jesus has finally turned up the volume. Jesus is allowing them to, to shout these praises, which are recorded for us a couple hundred years earlier by the prophet Zechariah. As Pastor Mike read earlier in Zechariah 9.9, we see that these prophecies now are being fulfilled. Their king is coming humbly, riding on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. That's specific. Coming to them in peace, bringing them salvation. This is something to celebrate. Now... I want you to notice in, in this passage in, in Matthew 21, so if you turn there, that'll be helpful. In Matthew 21, uh, Zechariah is, is quoted in verse 5, but there's another scripture from the Old Testament that's quoted in verse 9. In fact, it becomes part of their chant as they're chanting and, 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 and celebrating Jesus' uh, triumphal entry. This is a passage from one of the Psalms, Psalm 118, and it's so beautiful that I just want you to hear it in, in, in more of its context. We get a couple of lines here um, in Matthew, but, but here it is in its context in Psalm 118, which they are familiar with. This is their scripture. As, as good Jews, they were raised on these scriptures. They've memorized them. They understand uh, that they're waiting for the fulfillment of these scriptures. So in Psalm 118, starting in verse 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. So let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. What is that in, in Hebrew? Hosanna, right? Lord, save us. God, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And this is how amazing God is. He, he, he becomes very, very specific just to help our faith to grow. If you look at verse 27, the Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. What did you have here waving? These are, with bows in hand. Join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Amazing, right? This was spoken hundreds of years before Christ, and now it's taking place. Our faith should, should grow all the more in God's word. But now, the, the, the second scripture, the second crowd that we looked at this morning, that we'll look at because th this would happen later in the week of Passover, just five days later, another crowd... 
We don't know if it's all the same people, but I'm sure that some of them are the same people. Another crowd has gathered. We don't know that this is the, the same people exactly. Like I said, some of them, the disciples, others have, have gathered. Some of the Pharisees who were there watching this and getting envious, as Pilate said. But we do know one thing for sure. It's the same Jesus. Jesus hasn't changed in those five days. However, when Pilate asks the crowd, which man do you want me to release to you, Barabbas, this notorious criminal, or Jesus, who is called the Messiah, the Christ, which in in Hebrew and in Greek means the anointed one, which one do you want me to release? They cry out in a loud voice, Barabbas. So he says, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they all call together, crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate, Pilate's a little taken off by that. He says, why? What crime has he committed? And they don't even answer that question. They just cry all the louder, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Two crowds, loud voices, two very different responses, right? How can these responses be so different to the very same Jesus this is the same man. But he, they are reacting in completely opposite ways. So now I want us to look at another time in Holy Week, a little further on after the crucifixion has taken place and is currently taking place in Holy Week. If you look at Luke 23, verse 32 through, 30, for, through 43. So why don't you turn your Bibles to that? Luke 23, and I'll read to you this account. Here again is a prophecy that was given 700 years before Christ was even born and is being fulfilled. The prophecy is from Isaiah 53, verse 12. I'll read it to you. It says, He poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, transgressors is just another word for sinners. He was numbered with the sinners. He was counted as though he was a sinner. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We know that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, transgressors, and he was counted among them. These two criminals who hung beside Jesus paint for us another vivid picture of two very different responses to the very same man. Like our two crowds, they couldn't be more opposite. One expresses faith in Jesus. Verse verse 39. I'll read it to you in, in in this passage. One expresses faith. The other cries out insults to Jesus. So here's what it says. There was written above Jesus on on the cross, there was written above him a sign that said, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us with you. But the other criminal rebuked that one and said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of death, we are being punished justly for what we have done. We are getting what our des- we are getting the for our deeds what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
And then that thief turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What faith. He knows that Jesus is truly the king and that he has a kingdom. So here's the thing, and we want to focus in on this this morning because it'll help us as we go from this place and as we live in a world filled with different responses to Jesus. Not all like ours, some very different. Both of these men hanging there on the cross, they heard Jesus. They heard him speak with their own ears. They heard his voice. They were getting the same information. They may have never met Jesus before. They may have heard rumors of him, but we don't know anything about their background, where they even came from. But you know, it was very common for men who were hanging on a cross experiencing this extreme pain, physical pain, to, to lash out at the crowd because crowds would gather to watch them and crowds would gather to mock them. People who, who were... Uh, part of their sentencing, people who had put them there because of the crimes that were committed against them would gather and, 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 and mock them. We see that with the soldiers here and with some of the Pharisees and others who gathered around Jesus. So it was very common for men who were hanging on the cross to actually lash out at the crowd around them, to spit at them and to curse at them as they died. I suppose it's probably the insanity of the moment with, with that much excruciating pain going through your body. But then there was Jesus. Jesus spoke words of blessing from the cross. He didn't curse. He was being cursed, but he didn't curse anybody. As Jesus hung there in pain, struggling to even breathe, he looked out upon the crowd and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Both of those thieves heard that. Heard Jesus say that. They also heard Jesus take some time to speak to one of his disciples about caring for Jesus' mother. As the firstborn son, it was his role in the family to make sure his mother would be taken care of. So while Jesus hung there in agony, suffering the weight of our sin, these two criminals heard him focus in and speak these caring words, words of forgiveness and words of caring for others. These men saw and heard these things. Same stuff. Yet one of them responded in anger and mocking. Aren't you the Messiah? Save us. Save yourself. But the other one responded with faith. So we've seen two crowds, both responding oppositely, two criminals, both reacting very differently to the very same man. Jesus hadn't changed in those five days. He was the same. We could see it from the cross. He still spoke words of comfort, words of forgiveness, words of compassion. So it's kind of crazy if you think about it for a minute because we see responses like this all the time to Jesus. Sometimes even within us, we struggle with our response. 
especially prior to being saved and, and maybe going through difficulties ourselves. But some see Jesus and they put their faith in him. They believe in him. While when others see Jesus, they reject him. They refuse to believe the gospel about him. Now let's be honest, some of us were raised in the church. We've been here since we were real little. And we were raised here with our brothers and sisters, our siblings. We went to church on Sundays, we went to Sunday school, we went to VBS, we went to Christian camp in the summer, we went on retreats. We all heard the same Bible stories about Jesus. And here you are, you're still here, growing in the Lord, I hope. But your siblings may not be here. Your siblings may not be in any church. They have responded very differently to Jesus in their lives. Or those of you who are parents, when you raised your children to to, to come up in the church, to, to hear about Jesus, they heard all the same stories, all the same miracles that God has has performed, all the same prophecies that have been fulfilled. They heard about the same Savior who died for them. And some of your children responded with open-hearted acceptance. But some of your children have turned away. We struggle to understand this. It's the very same Jesus. Why can some see and some not see who he really is? What's happening? What's going on? Why these opposite reactions to the same man well I don't know I'll be honest with you has something to do with free will something to do with with our own choice now it's interesting because the Bible has something to say about this Jesus himself spoke about this when Jesus was sending out his his own disciples During those three years of training, he sent them out to preach. And when he sent them out to preach that the kingdom of heaven was near, he prepared them for two very different responses. And he says a rather uncomfortable thing in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says to his disciples, Do you suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. These are Jesus' words. They're not words we often focus on when we study the words of Jesus because they make us uncomfortable. We're shocked that he says this. We know he wasn't all about the sword. In fact, he he corrected his disciple when his disciple used a sword. But it sounds like Jesus has come to somehow intentionally cause division among people, a division in families and in, in relationships. But that is not what's going on. Jesus is simply describing what happens in a home or in close relationships when faith collides with unbelief. When someone chooses to have faith in Christ and someone else chooses to not believe in Christ. It's a collision. They are two opposite responses to the same thing, to the same man. There are just these different reactions and responses to the person of Jesus Christ. 
when the faith of one person literally comes up against the unbelief of another person, there's sometimes a violent reaction. As these two opposing kingdoms, yes, kingdoms, we call him the king of kings, he's the king of a kingdom, we read about in scripture another kingdom, one that has always been vying to influence people towards it. You and I live within the context of the kingdom of man right now, but we are also citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of man is ruled by Satan. Jesus called this temporary ruler of the world the prince of this world in John 14, verse 30. That's Jesus' title for Satan. That's not my title. I don't call Satan the prince of the world. But Jesus did. So I assume that it's real. Although it is a temporary position and Satan is ultimately defeated completely, he hasn't conceded total defeat yet. And he's going to spend whatever time he has left on this earth negatively influencing people to turn away from the Messiah, the anointed one, from Christ himself. From the only one who could ever save them. And that's going on. It was going on back then, and it's still happening in our time. And because of that, we read these verses in the Bible which describe it such, such as clearly as this, right? In John three nineteen through, through 21, it says, this is the verdict. You see, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will actually be exposed. Because of their shame, because of their guilt, because of the feeling of condemnation, they won't come to the light. This is a description of people who have turned away from the light of Jesus and who will not deal with their sin. Now, the Bible convicts us of sin, right? It actually tells us right from wrong. It shows us what it means to walk in righteousness and to walk in unrighteousness. And it continues to remind us to walk in the light, to walk in righteousness. And when we don't, to come to God and confess, yes, I am guilty, I have sinned, I need your forgiveness. Thank you so much that you do forgive me. But as we live for Christ, as we shine like light in this world, it convicts people. You, as the body of Christ, you convict people just by the way you live, just by being believers. I'll tell you this funny story. When I was a kid in high school, I had to wait at the bus stop here in Holden to go to Wachusett. I should have just walked, but I was lazy. And when I was at the bus stop with all the other kids from the neighborhood, some of them were smoking pot, some of them were doing whatever, you know, it's crazy, crazy days. They'd talk to me on occasion, I'd talk to them or whatever. And there was this group of guys and they were like, Tommy, how come you don't swear? Because they're swearing, you know, they're swearing up a storm, right? 
And I'm like, I don't swear because I think it's wrong. Well, why don't you, why don't you swear? You know, we'd have this conversation. We probably had it for, you know, several days. I said, listen, I'm a Christian. I believe I shouldn't use my mouth that way. That's the end of it, you know? They did everything they could do to try to get me to swear. <laughs> now, it was weird looking back on them. Like, what did it matter to them? Who cares? But somehow, by not swearing, it convicted them of their swearing. And so they didn't like it, so they wanted me to join them in their swearing. That's how sin works. It's, it's twisted. It's weird, right? Paul the Apostle wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. In other words, they can smell Christ on you. They can smell it if you're living for Christ, if you're not hiding it. To one, we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. I think that's what happens when we live for Christ in a world and in a culture that is kind of anti-Christ. Not just kind of, sometimes very. We stick out. We, we, we smell different. Not bad, but different. Bad to them. So we do this just by living for Jesus. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we think that people in this world are just picking on us because they don't like us. But I think there's something else going on. There's a spiritual war going on. We shouldn't take it personally. It is the death of Christ on the cross that convicts us of sin. And the only difference between you and a non-believer is how you look at the cross. You see, you've looked at the cross and you've recognized your own guilt and you've embraced the cross. Because as a believer, you've accepted the cross. And you've looked at it and said, yes, I am guilty as charged. I have not lived a sinless life. I need a savior. You threw yourself on the mercy of God. And what did you find? You found mercy. You found forgiveness. You found that his death actually made you alive again. And that's the amazing thing about the gospel. But guess what? Unbelievers don't understand that. If they hear that they're sinners and that their sin actually put Christ on the cross, they feel condemned. They don't know what to do with condemnation except reject it. How many times have you been in a conversation with someone, you're as best you can, trying to be a witness to Christ. And all of a sudden, they put their hands up and say, don't judge me. Now, you didn't judge them at all. Nothing that came out of your mouth sounded like judgment, but they felt it because the Spirit of God is at work actually making them uncomfortable with their sin so that they could have a chance to embrace the cross and receive the forgiveness and grace that we all have. They don't know what to do with that condemnation, and so sometimes they lash out. You see, because as believers, we stand washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven and at peace with God. But unbelievers feel nothing but guilt and shame and condemnation. 
Nothing to do with Jesus. Do away with him. Crucify him. Get rid of him. So we can live in the darkness in comfort. What do we do with all our unsaved family members and friends who have chosen that? Amen. What are we to do? Well, there's a passage in Isaiah which helps describe the ministry of Christ. I'm going to share it with you before we go because as the body of Christ, we're here on earth today to carry out the ministry of Christ. And this is God the Father speaking to God the Son in Isaiah 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is the ministry of the body of Christ. This is the ministry of Jesus. But because we're the body of Christ, it's also our ministry. We are called to bring the presence of Jesus into the dark world that we live in. In hope, that eyes would be open. Now, Matthew, verse, chapter 5, verse uh, 14, Jesus says these words. You are the light of the world. You are a town, and a town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people take a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Brothers and sisters, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is our goal. This is our purpose in life. This is what we live for, to shine. Will we always get good reactions? No. (laughs) Often they'll be negative. Look at what Jesus went through. Look what the early apostles went through. The disciples went through. The church throughout history has gone through. We don't stop shining because there's persecution. We don't stop shining because someone rejects us or hurts our feelings. We should shine all the more brightly so that those who are in darkness, in deep prison, can come out and be free. So before we go, how do we do that? Just four things, right? We do this by praying for unbelievers. You have to pray for them. This is not your job. This is God's job that he's asking us to join him in. Pray that God would open their eyes. Pray that God would soften their hearts. Talk to God about your loved ones. Sometimes we're so eager to see our loved ones come to Jesus, sometimes we start talking before we should. And we don't say the things that we should be saying. And it's not helpful. So pray. Pray that your mouth would be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That you would speak things in the right timing with the Holy Spirit into their lives. So we need to pray, pray, and then pray some more. Because listen, you and I, we can't save our friends and family. That is not our job. Our job is to shine so that they may see the light. But we don't save them. That's, that's God's job. 
So pray according to God's will. We know that it's his will that none should perish, but all should come to life in Christ. So we can pray that they would come to life, that their eyes would be open. The second thing is we need to live out our lives in Christ. We need to shine. We need to let our actions. You notice in that passage it says, let your good deeds be seen before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. It's a, it is about how you act, not about what you say. Your actions speak louder than words, as they say. So live your life loud for Christ. Let people see Christ in you. Number three, when you are given the opportunity and when the Lord opens up the conversation to become a gospel conversation, don't be shy. Step in. God's inviting you into that conversation when you know. It's not you manipulating or, or trying to change a, a, a subject. God has brought it up. Speak. Open your mouth. Be bold so that they would know the gospel message. They're not just going to get it by reading between the lines. At some point, they have to hear it. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. Now, we don't control the outcome. Think about it. The Son of God himself came lived a perfect life, did miracles, spoke such beautiful words of wisdom and parables and knowledge about God and the kingdom of God. The Son of God himself, some accepted him with open arms and open hearts, and others rejected him. So if that's the response that Jesus got, I think ours might be similar to that. Some will open their lives to Christ. Some will not. So continue to pray. And finally, pray for believers. Pray for each other. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for those who are are there in the world every single day. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers to go into those harvest fields. That people would walk in the boldness of Christ not hide their light under a bushel. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which it inspires us to live. But Lord, we know we can't do it without your help. We need your spirit to strengthen us to live lives for Christ. Lord, we don't want to live for other goals. We don't want to live according to what the world wants us to live. We want to live for your kingdom. We want to seek your kingdom first. You said if we do, then all these other things will take care of themselves. Help us, Lord, to walk in the light, to live in the light, to pray, to take opportunities when they come, to not shy away from them. Help us, Lord, to live. Live as Christ's people in this world. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the spirit that makes it possible. Be with us now. In Christ we pray. Amen. 